1: This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, and changes to our taxes. Springfield politicians,
2: they promise (laughs) they won't tax
1: return. Not now, Phyllis. Oh, Phyllis, stop it, would you? I told you many times, stop interrupting Dennis at work. With with all these races, candidates and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge, but Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at ChicagoVotes.com and ChicagoReader.com. Pull it up on your laptop. Take it with you into the voting booth on your phone and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. Like, maybe you're voting for a Trumpocrat. I'm a Trumpocrat.
0: Trumpocrat, that's right.
1: (laughs) ChicagoVotes.com
0: I'm a Trumpocrat, that's right. That's my favorite part of that, the guy (laughs) right? The
2: one guy in the background, yeah.
0: (laughs) The one guy in the background. In fact, that voice... One guy in the background is our guest, Joshua Smeiser de Leon, podcast host, brilliant uh, commentator on politics uh, and wrestling fan. We're getting into the wrestling fan part of it in a little while. Uh, we're going to be talking mostly uh, Puerto Rican politics, the Puerto Rican vote in the upcoming presidential election. Donnie Trump is trying to convince people that it's going his way. I personally do not believe it, I believe it's more con from Don. We'll get into that. But before we do that, Joshua, uh, tell folks all about your podcast, where they can find it and what it's all about. Go ahead.
2: Sure thing. Thanks for having me on again, Ben. Uh, It's really good to be here. Uh, So I have a podcast called the Paseo Podcast. Paseo is is, uh, the Paseo Podcast definitely is uh, takes its name, is inspired by a strip of land we have in Humboldt Park called Paseo Boricua, which I consider the hub of Puerto Rican culture here in the city of Chicago. So I partnered with our local Puerto Rican Cultural Center located on Division Street. And uh, we basically have put together a weekly show We'll welcome different Puerto Ricans into into the studio. Well, not so much a studio now with, with the pandemic, but we're doing a lot of our recordings virtually, um, but it's a different Boricua in the guest chair. So we talk everything from uh politics and how u.s politics are affecting puerto ricans in the diaspora to politics on the island to even our latest episode where we interviewed a puerto rican doctor to talk about how essential workers have been really our heroes throughout um throughout our dealing with the pandemic and some of the scary stories that that they've had to endure Um, And then next week, we also have a local a local uh, politician on a friend of your show, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who is part Puerto Rican. So he's going to come on. We're going to talk about U.S. election. We're going to talk about um, his upbringing, uh, what Puerto Rican culture means to him. Um, and a little bit about uh, the identity and embracing what your identity and the intersectionality of that identity, especially within the realm of Chicago politics. So uh, we range from really light topics to Puerto Rican comic book h- heroes to really like dense, um, heavy topics such as Puerto Rican politics and and how we as Puerto Ricans are uh, U.S. citizens but aren't often treated as such.
0: All right, we'll check out the show and. Uh one more time, where can they get it? All that good stuff. Yeah. Wherever you podcast is it yeah.
2: <laughs> wherever you pod, man. So um. <laughs> so we're on every major streaming platform. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, look us up, Basale Podcast. We're there. Uh, we also post regularly and engage regularly with our followers on Twitter and Facebook. And the handle for both of those is at Basale Podcast. That's also the handle for the Instagram account. Uh, I haven't posted anything there, but you know we're accepting friend requests, so we'll definitely accept you if you reach out to us. We're just locking down the handle for now. Um, and then uh, we have a website. It's called paseomedia.org, and paseo is spelled P-A-S-E-O. Uh, and then if you want to follow me and my personal Twitter account, that's at JSDeLeon.
0: That's correct. All right, man. I, I could learn a thing or two from you uh, just listening to that recitation. I know, man. I, D we got to get some millennials around here. Dennis is a millennial, but as I always tease him, he's the oldest millennial I've ever seen. Uh, all right, before we take the deep dive uh, into uh, Puerto Rican politics, uh, Donald Trump thinks he's got the Puerto Rican vote locked up. I think he's deluded. Uh, he thinks because the governor of Puerto Rico has endorsed him, uh, everybody, including uh, Joshua uh, De Leon, is just going to run, run, run to vote for him. Uh, I think he's out of his mind. We'll get into all that, but before we do that, I have to share something with people. Uh, Joshua, in, in addition to to being a podcaster uh, is uh, about Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican politics and politics in general. Uh, is o- quite knowledgeable about wrestling. I've been talking about this a lot in the show uh, lately, Joshua, because so many of my listeners are of the older liberal persuasion and they've never been into wrestling, and so they're they're really they don't understand Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump's roots are in wrestling. Donald Trump uh, patterns himself on wrestlers, and his he, trash talking is straight out of of, of just years and years of having watched wrestling. And so liberals freak out, you know, because he just so blatantly trash talks them. They just don't get it. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to play a little excerpt of Donald Trump in Wisconsin, which is just Joshua, when you hear this, you're going to, Oh my God, this is just straight up from the WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis captured this, did a good job of picking this up. So this is Donald Trump trash talking J.W. Pritzker to, A crowd of his beloved MAGA lovers. Go ahead, D.
1: Tell you what, Illinois Illinois could use a new governor.
0: That guy doesn't know what's happening. They got to open up that state. They got to open up that state. You watch what happens. On November 4th, they'll all say, all right, now everybody, they're only doing this for politics. I really believe that. Donald Trump. Illinois needs a new governor.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey,
0: uh, Josh were you watching uh, Wrestling back when, when Donald Trump Was uh, getting uh, into the f- Fights with Vince McMahon Were you watching uh, that yeah.
2: yeah Dennis correct me if I'm wrong here on my dates But uh, it feels like It was yesterday uh, I think it was Wrestlemania 23 And it was a hair versus hair match <laughs> I think that was around the time I like got back into wrestling after dropping off in the Attitude Era, um, or after the Attitude Era of wrestling. And uh, yeah, they both had wrestlers in their respective corner and whichever wrestler that they chose to represent them won. Um, The loser had to shave off the hair and naturally Donald Trump isn't going to let anybody touch his hair. Well, except for Jimmy Fallon, but he's not going to let anybody touch his hair. Um, So Donald Trump actually won that. And you can see a lot of that wrestling influence and the way he speaks, the catchphrases he uses, the way he plays to the crowd, Uh, I want to say... It was the Trump Hotel. I don't remember if that's in Atlantic City or one of his Trump Hotel locations that actually hosted one of the first WrestleManias back in the 80s. So him and Vince McMahon go way, way back. In fact, I believe she's probably not a part of the administration nowadays, but Vince McMahon's wife, Linda McMahon, is a part uh, or was a part of Trump's administration. I want to say part of the small business uh, administration. So. Yeah, the the ties go the, the ties run deep with Trump and wrestling.
0: Yeah, uh, she was she ran for senate uh, in Connecticut as well. Vince McMahon is the president of the World Wrestling, uh, and he uh, he's not afraid to play the role Vince McMahon of like the coward who gets pummeled, and he allowed Donald Trump to do to pummel him and humiliate him and shave his hair uh, and uh, and sort of set him up as like a macho man Donald Trump yep. uh, he, Vince McMahon was more than happy uh, to play that role and Donald Trump is just doing it to this day and and Joshua when you hear Trump like when you this, uh, this, 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 you need a new governor and the crowd's going crazy does it uh, affect you like does it get you angry does it get you upset does it trigger you in any way or do you kind of just roll your eyes and laugh at it What's your response when you hear that Trump at, doing his thing?
2: I mean, at, at this point, is there a level of concern for the things for the things that spew out of his mouth, especially when it may provoke um, violent or aggressive behavior from people that hang on to his every word? Of course, that concern is there. Um, but seeing as we're a few days away from the election, to be honest with you, like the past month or so i've just whenever he's on i i just i can't watch more than a few seconds or a few minutes because it's just it's kind of the same thing um he just kind of spews out the same type of rhetoric it also feels like he's grasping at straws trying to paint biden as a centrist on one level and then as a radical leftist on the other and it it just feels like a desperate attempt to grab on or hold on to whatever semblance of power that he thinks he has
0: yeah yeah, he is pretty desperate. Today's uh, paper, uh, I'm just looking at the headline right now, trailing Biden, Trump rips Fauci. I'm like, damn, you're ripping Fauci? I mean, I don't know where that's going to get him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, he rips Fauci, but then he includes him in his political ads. Uh, It's just kind of like, I mean, it's whatever with this guy. He's, uh, there's no, there's no depth. There's no, you can't take him for his word. I mean, there's really any trying to hang on to any words or or keep up with anything he says. It just feels like a lost cause. And I feel like most people, at least I hope, most people this upcoming presidential election have already made their decision. And I, I find it very hard to believe there could be anything between now and election, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that would impact someone from either switching from Trump to Biden or vice versa.
0: All right, uh, speaking of making up their decision, let's talk about the decisions of uh, P- Puerto Rican voters in your humble opinion, sure. Donald Trump. As I said, I was very confident I don't understand the confidence. Maybe you can help explain it to me. He's very confident. He's going to pick up the Puerto Rican vote, uh, and uh, he thinks it's like uh, the secret sauce for him, uh, in particularly in Florida, etc., and so forth. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the complexities of the Puerto Rican uh, electorate uh, in this country, and we'll get it, we'll work it back uh, to Donald Trump.
2: Sure. Yeah. So looking at the Puerto Rican electorate here in the United States, an interesting it's an interesting and sad reality. We, uh, for people that may not know, um, every time president, the presidential election comes up, you'll have an opportunity to see how different candidates are doing in primaries. So you might see Puerto Rico, other territories of the United States pop up in that news coverage that says X amount of people from Puerto Rico voted for someone like Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden uh, in, the, in the Democratic primary. That's kind of the extent of Puerto Ricans' level of power in their vote, if they're living on the island, um, to impact things at a federal level. When it comes to the U.S. election, as as it is with this upcoming one in November, if you live, if you're a resident of Puerto Rico, you cannot vote in the presidential election which is odd because we are U.S. citizens, we are US citizens as Puerto Ricans. Um, we're a part of the United States, whether portions of the Puerto Rican community like that or dislike that. So it it puts us in an odd position because if you want to have a say and use the power of your vote to determine who the elected officials will be in Congress or who the elected official will be in the White House that could potentially make the relationship between the U.S. and Puerto Rico um, more equitable, you have to leave Puerto Rico, which means you have to migrate from Puerto Rico, leave your home in order to have residency here in the United States, in order to vote in a presidential election on behalf of your home. So that that is a heartbreaking thing to consider because no one should have to leave their home in order to vote on the future of their home. And when we look at migration patterns of Puerto Ricans, we also have to take into consideration different um, obstacles that are putting people's uh, people's way as voter suppression tactics to prevent them from voting. There was an NBC News report that came out recently that talked about um, how there were, I wanna say 200,000 Puerto Ricans that have migrated to the United States, but they have yet to vote. Uh, and, and, and reasons for that are there is a lack of voter registration effort. There is an unfamiliarity with the party system. So there's no education on either of those fronts. There's an unfamiliarity with how U.S. elections work. Um, so there's not enough transparency in how Puerto Ricans can exercise their, their rights to vote after they migrate from, from La Isla. Um, and a lot of a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, Puerto Ricans that may migrate here don't know that early voting is even a thing or the fact that voting has already begun here in the United States. Um, now, keep in mind, Ben, the there was one thing I left off my list as to why newly, newly um, migrated Puerto Ricans here in the States have not voted. And that's apathy. Apathy is one of the lowest things on the list that could prevent a Puerto Rican from voting, because in Puerto Rico we have an 80 percent um, voter participation rate in major elections. Now that's compared that's compared to our abysmal uh, percentage here in the United States, and unlike in the United States. Uh, in Puerto Rico, there, are, there aren't those intentional barriers meant for voter suppression. In fact, there is a voting culture that is very much ingrained in, in Puerto Ricans on the island. So like election day is more of a communal event. It's more treated as a holiday. So no work, no school for most people. Um, it's one of the few times that Puerto Rico's get a chance to vote. So the, the ability to vote for Puerto Ricans is something that they very much hold uh, sacred, And like I said earlier, it's heartbreaking that you have to, as much as you uh, believe in your right to vote, you can't even vote in a presidential election or congressional election without having to leave the place you've called home probably forever.
0: Yeah. Uh, that is very twisted. And I'm sure there's a reason for it uh, th- to deny uh, Puerto Ricans the opportunity to vote a presidential election. We'll get into that. You said something uh, I, t- I want to uh, follow up on. 200,000 Puerto Ricans migrated to the United States. You're talking about in the last couple of years. Is that what you were alluding
2: to? Correct. Yes, and that's that's according to an NBC News article that recently came out. I want to say last week, mm-hmm. two hundred thousand. And so, is yeah.
0: there a, a state or states where they're most concentrated in?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, so it used to be the top three used to be uh, New York, which was at about a million, uh, it was over a million. Um, and then you had uh, had Philadelphia, which was in the hundreds of thousands, I wanna say between 100, 200,000, and then Chicago would come in third at a little over 100,000. With things like a debt crisis, um, education crisis, uh, power grid issues, a myriad of policy that negatively affects people living in Puerto Rico, Hurricanes Irma and Maria. You've had this pretty significant migration from the island, where now Florida has actually cracked the top two um, in in Puerto Rican voters. They're uh, not too far from from New York. There are a little over a million Puerto Ricans living there currently.
0: Mm. Wow! Now that is power to do something to have an impact uh on an election uh florida of course is a swing state it's a state that donald trump absolutely has to win what is donald trump doing to try to win over puerto rican voters uh, in florida in particular
2: sure yeah so the, the biggest thing the biggest thing he's doing is trying to make it seem like he cares about mm-hmm. anything uh so he recently uh announced uh, I, want to, I want to say last month, he announced that he was going to release about $13 billion to rebuild the electrical grid, repair schools. Um, essentially, it's, it, he was announcing that he was going to release an aid package to Puerto Rico to help in those hurricane recovery efforts. Um, the problem is, Congress already approved federal aid to Puerto Rico. Uh, years ago at this point. And Trump has put up all types of barriers, all types of red herrings to try to gunk up the works and make it so Puerto Rico cannot get that aid. And he has the power to release that aid. He's had the power to release that aid since those hurricanes hit the island. Uh, and It's not until a few weeks before the election, all of a sudden he announces he's gonna release $13 billion in aid. Has he done that yet? No. Is he gonna do that? No, of course he's not. he That's probably the only thing you could pro- probably put a positive spin on when it comes to Trump's relationship with the Puerto Rican community and with Puerto Rico as a whole. Um, and if I could go through the list, I mean, if there's a myriad of issues I have with them. I feel like it's a long-running list, but some of my tops that really piss me off are... Throwing paper towels into crowds of Puerto Ricans that are in need of sustenance or need of shelter, um, demonizing the entire Latinx community, uh, making it seem as though Puerto Rico cannot get itself together when we have been prevented from self determination by policies in the United States, trying to figure out how to make a deal to sell Puerto Rico and trade that for Greenland. Uh, you name it, he's, he's, he, you, if, you, if you think about any type of way you'd have a relationship with somebody, Donald Trump has slighted and slapped the face of Puerto Ricans multiple times over. So the latest push for aid, I think, is his way of trying to court maybe Puerto Ricans that aren't paying attention. Um, but, ha- but we're talking about over 4,000 people that died because of Hurricane Maria. We're talking about families that have been impacted with their with risk, with being um, uh, threatened, with their pensions being cut, their kids not being able to go to school. Now the island's dealing with the pandemic. Um, I, my hope... Uh, And what I believe and what I've seen in my conversation and heard in my conversations with with Puerto Ricans in my circle Is that Puerto Ricans are very much paying attention to what this administration is doing not to say that they're Hard-leaning Republican or hard-leaning Democrat because Puerto Ricans definitely have a lot to critique Barack Obama on in terms of what his The policy his administration uh, put forth uh, And and how that affected Puerto Rico's relationship with the United States, but Donald Trump takes it to an entirely different Level to the point where people in the United States don't even know that Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens, so they treat us as if we're somehow based off his rhetoric. Somehow we are moochers or not worthy of of assistance when. You have a lot of Puerto Ricans that have advocated and uh, talked about their support for statehood based on the belief that the United States would have Puerto Rico's back. Well, they haven't had their back when it comes to their debt crisis and predatory loans. And they haven't had the United States has not had Puerto Rico's back when it comes to hurricane relief aid. Um, So do I believe Donald Trump? Absolutely not. Again, this is just him grasping at straws at a desperate attempt to court an electorate that he's hoping is not paying attention. But we very much are.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I see. We're going to tie the two themes together. We started with wrestling, and now we're going to. I'm going to tie it to the uh, what he does uh, in regards to the Puerto Rican vote. So I'm going to speak with my mind, Joshua. When I'm done, you can f- freely disagree with me. I think that Donald Trump has a deep-rooted prejudice against Puerto Ricans. I personally believe that. I think Donald Trump has that prejudice from. Notions that popped into his his little brain of when he was growing up in New York and making his fortune in New York, because there's a sizable, as you said, Puerto Rican community in New York. So he's still living on prejudices and biases that he picked up as a kid in New York. I think Donald Trump outrageously insulted Puerto Rico and Puerto Ricans with the way he treated them when that hurricane hit. I think Donald Trump treated that hurricane as a joke. I think Donald Trump was playing to his Puerto Rican hating base, when he tried to dismiss the notion that uh, giving aid to Puerto Rico was anything other than throwing money away. Joshua, that's what he said. It's just throwing money away. Why should we even bother giving them money? Never had that attitude about Texas or Alabama when you're hit by a hurricane. I'm just, this is just me speaking. This is what I feel. And uh, so his base loves it when he talks that way because he's feeding that bias and hatred uh, and then when he came down there, I know I remember that with the paper towels. He was like a campaign stop. They had to drag him, tr- kicking and screaming to go to Puerto Rico just to drop in. I don't know if he even left the airport. He came in. Here you go. Here's some paper towels. He throws them and he's like, ha ha, I'm Donald Trump. I'm funny. That's him doing his Donald Trump shtick. And uh, so he doesn't care what Puerto Ricans think about him. But right now, when he says that he's got Puerto Rican support because he promises 13 billion, that's the biggest insult of all the Puerto Ricans, because he's basically saying you're so stupid. I've insulted you, I've degraded you, I've mocked you, and now I'm gonna give a phony promise, and I'm
2: bragging that you're gonna vote for me. That's my riff. Agree or disagree with me, Joshua? Oh, definitely agree, definitely agree. I mean, this sniffs of desperation, a part of me, the conspiracy theorist in me, wonders if he was holding out on on releasing aid for a long time, because in his twisted mind, maybe he thought, well, if I release this closer to the election, it'll be frustrating people's minds. I would not put it past him. To try to strategically think of approaching the Puerto Rican vote in that way. Um, ultimately, I, I yeah, I, I think he I think he's disingenuous. I think he is really trying to make something work this coming election. If you look at the 2016 election, Florida. He won Florida by 1.2 percentage points. So we're talking about 112,000 100, 112, uh, votes. And keep in mind, I, I just mentioned how in Florida, we're looking at a million Puerto Ricans that live there. Um, you you could really have the Puerto Rican vote be the, a big determining factor in who becomes U.S. president, especially in these battleground states. Um, and I, I think he's aware of that. Um, so I, I think he's crapping his pants. And I think he's trying to, again, just... Try anything he can to throw out the throw out the wall to figure out what can stick and get him the votes he wants. Um, but absolutely, like you said, Ben, it, it, it's a it's a slap in the face.
0: Yeah, and just before I believe totally how liberals are so cowed by him. So many come up to me, they hear him goes, they go, Ben, the Puerto Ricans are going for Trump. I go, how do you what? How do you know that? Well, Trump said it. Oh well, it must be true because <laughs> yeah. Donnie Trump's been yeah. never known to lie. But liberals, uh, they hear Trump oh. do one of these rallies, Ben. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I will say this. There were, yeah. there were, will you have a percentage of any community that will lean Republican and a percentage that will lean Democrat? Absolutely. You're not you're not going to have an entire group of people that are sol- a, a solidly in the corner of a particular party, especially when you break down the different nuances that are uh, in Latinx, the Latinx community. So when he says, yeah, Puerto Ricans are for Trump, Maybe he's looking at random videos on Twitter of people wearing his memorabilia. I don't really know. I mean, there was there was a rally in Puerto Rico that the, the equivalent of the Republicans there uh, had. They had a Trump rally. Um, and I think uh, a local senator in Puerto Rico also had a Trump rally, too. Um, very typical of what you'd see uh, here in the United States. Uh, but very perplexing because, like I said before, why you can't vote for US president in Puerto Rico, so the point of having a rally just kinda goes nowhere. There's really no logic to it. So maybe he's seeing these small pockets of celebrations in his name and thinks there must be some type of wave of Puerto Rican support that he's getting, but couldn't be further from the truth.
0: I don't oh yeah, think. you're absolutely correct. Uh, like every ethnic group has a contingent. No matter how liberal most of them are, who are for Trump, but we were talking about this earlier in the show uh, with Doris Davenport. We're talking about Ice Cube. You know, Mm -hmm. sending out vibrations uh, in favor of Donald Trump, pulling back a little bit, but he's sending out vibrations. Well, he's a billionaire. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't want to pay taxes. I mean, Ice Cube's a billionaire. He's one of the most successful businessmen in Hollywood. Why would he want to pay taxes? So, you know, I can could, I could understand why Ice Cube might be feeling that Trump, because Trump cut his taxes. But just... You know, that doesn't mean that it goes beyond Ice Cube in terms of uh, black support for Trump. So I get what you're saying. Absolutely. All right. Talk about speaking of which, Wanda Vasquez, uh, governor of Puerto Rico, is for Trump. A lot of people wonder what's going on uh, in Puerto Rico where they would elect a governor or they would have a governor who is supporting Trump. Explain that uh, if you can, Joshua.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I was scratching my head when I saw that, too. Um, you know, I, I wish I could riff a bit more on it, but I'm not a comedian and this is a joke. You know, <laughs> this is like not even, uh, it feels not even worth worth it to dedicate energy to. And, and here's why. Um, Wanda Vasquez was never elected as the governor of Puerto Rico. So Puerto Ricans did not have a say in whether or not she'd have that seat. Uh, she took over that seat after disgraced governor Ricardo Rosselló uh, was ousted by the Puerto Rican people after um, message threads had showed up of him demonizing women, the LGBTQIA community, people uh, negatively affected by Hurricanes Maria and Irma. The people revolted, revolted. There was an uprising and it was a masterclass in democracy. So fast forward, Rosa is out, Wanda Vasquez is in. We had Puerto Rico recently had a primary election to decide who would be. Um, Who would be the representative that they would put forth for their political party? Wanda Vasquez and Ricardo Rosellio were a part of the are a part of the new progressive party, which is one of the two bigger players in the Puerto Rican political landscape. The other is the popular Democratic Party. Um, So popular Democratic Party, that's more centrist, left leaning. They're more for maintaining the just a quick history lesson. They're more uh, in favor of maintaining the current political status of Puerto Rico as a commonwealth. Um, as a colony of the United States. New Progressive Party, which Wanda Vasquez is a part of. It's more moderate. It's made up of what we would identify as Democrats and Republicans. uh, And they advocate for Puerto Rico becoming a state. And the third one, which isn't as, which is kind of like a third in popularity on the island, is the Puerto Rican Independence Party. And they're in favor of advocating for independence for Puerto Rico. So just to set the groundwork there. So when we take a step back and look at Wanda Vasquez's nomina- um, endorsement of Donald Trump, while she's an accidental governor, her own party didn't vote for her to be elected to represent them uh, in the upcoming gubernatorial race. And uh, this is another case of a politician grasping at straws. They don't. She doesn't see a future for herself, so she's trying to cling on to anybody and anything that will allow her to have some semblance of a career once she is ousted as the governor of Puerto Rico. Yeah,
0: I see. Uh, that explains things a little bit. Uh, uh, and she does not have much influence. I don't know a lot of voters who are going to uh, vote for Donald Trump just because uh, Wanda Vasquez uh, has endorsed him. Uh-huh. I By the way, talking about uh, the different options available to Puerto Rico, statehood, commonwealth status, uh, Mm -hmm. or independence, uh, that gets to an issue that I want to raise with you that I I may have suggested before we went on the air, and that is this. Uh, Many of my liberal and lefty friends uh, are urging that Puerto Rico become a state uh, because they want those electoral votes to count in the electoral map because they presume, and I think they're correct, that um, it would probably be votes for, like, whoever the Democratic candidate is uh, whenever I hear that like they're sort of equating Puerto Rico with Washington it's an absolute disgrace I think you and I would both agree that Washington D.C. Uh, does not have it's not an independent state uh, they don't get to they don't get a say in things it's, they don't have a senate; they don't have senators uh, But so there's this automatic this knee-jerk response to equate Puerto Rico and Washington but I always try to caution them that the people who live in Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rico may not want uh, statehood. You know, so you're you want them to be a part of the electoral map to help Democrats. Just move to Texas. That'll help Democrats a lot faster uh, than making Puerto Rico a state. Boom, That ends it right there. Republicans don't win another election for the next fifty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talk about the issue uh, in your mind. Puerto Rico's state, Puerto Rico independent, Puerto Rico continue its current status. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So this is a this is a complex this is a complex issue, and depending on if you know anybody that's Puerto Rican, you talk to them about this issue, uh, you might you're gonna, you you are going to get a variety of answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I want. I, I feel as though it's it also comes down to a generational issue. It also comes down to how Puerto Ricans since their relationship with the United States was started have really been um brainwashed feels like a strong word but uh forced into assimilating and believing in that the United States somehow like I said earlier somehow has will have their back and has their best interest in mind um and and we've seen that uh When you look at things like statehood, maintaining the current status of a Commonwealth independence, the, the case for independence is much more popular amongst progressive Boricuas. Statehood, Commonwealth status, is something you'll see more along, more from moderates. Mm. Um, if I could take you back to the 1800s, we're going to, I know you don't do a lot of time traveling on your show, Ben, but we're going to go back a little bit to the 1800s here. Um, a lot of people think that the United States saved Puerto Rico from the Spanish, but the reality could not be further from the truth because when Puerto Rico, after having revolutions, um, After speaking, trying to speak truth to power and organizing, Spain eventually came around and decided to put uh, Puerto Rico from a, uh, a big moment in Puerto Rican history called El Grito de Lares, a cry of, of Lares. Lares is a municipality in Puerto Rico where it was essentially an uprising of Puerto Ricans to the Spanish government. To it was uh, that was across across classes. So you had uh, people that are in slavery, merchants, people experiencing poverty, um, upper class people uprising for their right to self govern. United States got whiff of Spain's plan to put Puerto Rico on its path to independence, and lo and behold, we have the Spanish American War, which is in the which was uh, in the the time of winding down, and the United States all of a sudden started to push this propaganda that somehow the United States saved Puerto Rico from Spain. So that's a history that I don't know that many Puerto Ricans are aware of because the education system has been so controlled by the US government to make it seem as though the United States is the savior of Puerto Rico when in reality we were on a path to self-determination before they even got involved. So when you talk to people that are for independence, they're going to point to they're going to point to moments in history like that that show an abuse of relationship and frankly a lie and how that relationship came to be. Um, we also have, over time, uh, and this is, again, what People for Independence will say, um, we also have, over time, have seen policy that has negatively affected Puerto Rico's ability to, um, be, uh, to be financially independent, where we have something like the Jones Act, which affects Puerto Rico's ability to import goods. Now, in the United States, we can import goods from whoever we want. In Puerto Rico, the Jones Act means we can only import goods from the United from the United States. So let's say you have, want a gallon of milk, the and let's say the United States gets it from the UK at a good price, at a cheap price. UK has to send Puerto Rico wants that UK milk. the the um the the ship has to bring that milk over. The plane has to bring that milk over to the United States, and then it has to make a second trip to come to Puerto Rico. So you can't even have a direct line of imports. Uh, which leads to issues of, of uh, higher prices for people that are already experiencing um, the tightening of their belts on La Ila. So a gallon of milk here might be between two three bucks. It could be three or, or it could be two or three times that amount in Puerto Rico. So we're, we're hit and we're hit in our our financial status. We're hit in our governing status. We can't we can't elect a representative to U.S. Congress to the U.S. Congress, but they cannot have any say in the passing of legislation. We have no representation in the senate so the American revolution one of the big things that led to that was no taxation without representation well Puerto Rico gets taxed a hell of a lot by the United States and uh, we have no representation in addition to that we also don't receive parity the island does not receive parity on social services so we pay the uh, if you live in Puerto Rico you're paying the same amount in taxes to things like medicare medicaid but you only receive a fraction of that back compared to people living in, in the states, um, so when I say this is a complicated issue, I'm just I'm just scratching the surface uh, on where where this debate can go. Um, so you're going to have a good portion of people that want independence for be based on an abusive relationship with the United States, and you're going to have people that are for statehood and for commonwealth status. For fear of not being, or for fear of the United States not having their back. Now, if Puerto Rico became a state. I could see the argument behind that because I have, I have a strong belief. Absolutely, you, you would probably most likely add two Democratic senators to to the Congress roster. You'd add. Um, more democratic representatives, but it's absolutely, absolutely not the same thing as D.C. They're two totally different animals. Mm-hmm. We're talking about decades, if uh, over, if not over a century, of relationship dynamics between the United States and Puerto Rico, um, where Puerto Ricans have been slighted and may not even know that they've been slighted and just assume that's just how things are. But we've really been, we've really been taking advantage of we used to be strong uh, I'm ranting at this point Ben so if you want to stop me at any point I totally understand but we used to export sugar canes we were a big sugar cane exporter and the United States uh, essentially wiped out our ability uh, to to export and made the the island very much self-dependent on on the imports that the United States would ship over so What that leads to now, and I think a lot of people are awakening to this fact, especially in Puerto Rico, is that there is a severe lack of of parity, equity, and justice when it comes to breaking down this relationship with the U.S. Um, so yeah, I, I, that no. to your question, Ben, or? Because that- No, Matt, that was, that was, was good. I, we could do a whole show on it. I mean, yeah.
0: shows uh, on I it. I am
2: uh, no, just kidding, go Yeah,
0: uh, and it, it's definitely, it's far more complex than trying to use uh, Puerto Rico uh, as a tool in the fight between Democrats and Republicans uh, to control uh, Congress, to control the Senate, I mean, and to um, uh, take back the White House, and again, I think the fastest way to take back the White House on a permanent basis for the Democrats is to start moving Democrats in the state of Texas. Bada boom, bada bing, it's over. Okay, yeah. it is over, and then yeah. you can settle Puerto Rico, the issue of what the status Puerto Rico has, you uh, know, in, in a way away from uh, these uh, political issues in this yeah. country. All right, we're gonna well, close I'm, it now. Also, if What's I could
2: add to that, ben, but, you know, I'm a part of the di- the Puerto Rican diaspora, so I don't live in Puerto Rico, and I want to be I want to be sensitive to that fact that. Yeah, I can't put myself into the shoes of someone that lives on La I I don't know what that experience is like, like step for step, I I only I can go off of is the research I've done, the conversations I've had with people. um, And the the severity of a need to really reevaluate that relationship is so essential. And uh, Nidia Velasquez, who's a Democratic representative in New York, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's also a representative in New York, were both Puerto Rican. Recently, uh, I wanna say back in October, or no, I'm sorry, back in August, um, had introduced a bill that would essentially call together a status convention where delegates would be elected by the Puerto Rican voters, and that body would essentially develop a long-term solution for Puerto Rico status. So that could be statehood, independence, free association, or any other option, um, then what the current territorial territorial agreement is currently. So there's some movement in that field to actually decide something because at, up to this point, it's just been referendum after referendum um, and different voting cycles in Puerto Rico, which have not been approved by the U.S. Department of Justice, which makes them non-binding anyway, which is riddled with wordage issues. Um, so there's really been no movement. I think we're starting to see more of a groundswell. support for like hey we need to figure out what the status of puerto rico is and we need to figure out who can be in that room to have that discussion now i i don't know if people are proponents or opponents to what Nidia velasquez and alexander cortez have proposed um but it's something and we need to have this discussion because the puerto rican people are being crippled at every turn whether like i said pensions uh education uh energy uh workforce you name it we're, we're they are getting squeezed and it's as if we're treated as second class citizens but when we're talked about we're put in this class of american citizenship but without any of the same respect care and support that our american co- american citizenship co- counterparts receive
0: all right uh, we're going to close it down by uh forcing you uh, to make a prediction Uh, and so uh, I'm going to write it down and hold you to it uh, the next time you come on the show so when the dust has settled and the votes have counted will the state of Florida be in the column for Donald John Trump or will it be in the column for Joseph Biden Hmm. Joshua your prediction please
2: that's a tough one my heart says Florida will go uh, for Joseph Biden
0: all right, I'm writing it down, and the right Puerto Rican down. vote is going to deliver it. That's the key.
2: Okay, I'm writing it down. We're in a right. fortunate point in our history right now, Ben, where the Puerto Rican vote was not really discussed when it came to U.S. presidential elections, if if ever. So, for Puerto Rico to be in the news, I know I've sent you a few headlines here or there about the Puerto Rican vote for us to be in this conversation, for people to talk about the importance of the Boricua vote, it's a, it's an, it's a fascinating moment in our history that hadn't happened before. Uh, now, if we could get mentioned on a debate st- on a presidential debate stage, that would be great because we're, we rarely are ever, um, but it's, it's, a, it's an amazing moment for me to witness as a student of Puerto Rican history to see us actually put talked about with some value when it comes to shifting the outcome of this upcoming presidential election.
0: Uh, on a very local level, I'll just tell you, I'm, I probably told you this a million times because I've reached that that age of man where I start repeating stories. Joshua, let me tell you something. Yeah. Uh, but when I first moved to Chicago, I didn't know anything about Puerto Ricans. I didn't know Mexicans anything. I came to Chicago, and I realized the power of the Puerto Rican vote. It was Puerto Ricans who voted overwhelmingly for Harold Washington in 1983. This gets lost. Mm-hmm. See, everybody goes, oh, all uh, Latinos are the same. No. I lived through that Harold Washington campaign. Puerto Rican voters on the north side of Chicago, Joshua, seventy-five to eighty percent for Harold Washington. You could look at the results, and they they bucked the machine. Richard Mel was pushing uh, Bernie Epton down their throats. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. they went with. Harold Washington. And that's when that opened my eyes. Like there's something going on here. Puerto Rican vote is different than the Mexican American vote and way different than the Cuban American vote. And was my learning experience right there in Chicago in
2: 1983. Oh, definitely. And that and that legacy has definitely carried on since 83. And when you look at the organization level, the Puerto Rican community here in Chicago, it's like no other I've ever seen before in when looking at other the way other puerto rican communities organize and like and like i said earlier at the uh, earlier in the show we're like top three top four in terms of puerto rican population in the united states we have on paseo boricua the largest monuments to a flag in the world we have a puerto rican walk of fame We have the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture, which is the largest collection of Puerto Rican art in the world. We have two Puerto Rican cultural centers, and Paseo Boricua is one of those shining lights in terms of the cultural history and organizing from oppressed communities here in Chicago. And like I said, I've seen organizing from them unlike levels I've ever seen from other uh, Puerto Rican organizations that are based locally. Um, So there's a lot to be proud of as a Boricua here in the Windy City. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Joshua. I appreciate it.
1: Josh, uh, one more prediction. One more prediction here. Um, (laughs) WrestleMania 37. (laughs) Okay. Will we see
2: the Tribal
1: Chief, Roman Reigns, defend his Universal Championship
2: against The Rock? Oh, 100%. Their cousin. So? So the Rock is really, the Rock's trying to put his, his cousin on. And I'm really digging some of the work that the tribal chief is putting together. Same. Right I was not Same. a big fan of Roman, but I'm coming around. I'm literally digging his work lately.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The heel turn is working well. So you think oh, yeah. Rock and Roman Reigns? Me too. Me too.
2: I think that'd be a kick ass match for sure. Anytime I see The Rock on a, on a screen wrestling, even though he's <laughs> almost a senior citizen at this point in wrestling years, <laughs> I always appreciate him. Uh, really, two good workers for sure. By the way, Rock came out for uh, the Rock came out for Biden. I don't know if you saw that.
0: Uh, he endorsed Biden. Uh, all right, thank you very much, Joshua. Uh, I'm Ben Bednarski. Take care, everyone. See you, everybody. Thank. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars. But as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.